Welcome back to After Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Sean Carey Tattoo. And Sean, we're going to be talking UFC Nashville, Cub Swanson versus Artem Lobov, and Ally Kinta versus Diego Sanchez. Sean Carey Tattoo, how's it going, man? Good, man. You? It's, um, I'm excited to meet up with you guys in Nashville this weekend. That'll be fun. I think I feel a little sick today, but perhaps I'm planting a seed to not show up. You never know. Could be oh. either one. Oh, my God. If you do that, I'm coming to fucking North Carolina, and I'm finding you, son. Cause I'm, I, I'm going to Nashville to see you. I ain't going to see uh, OSP versus DeLima. I'll tell you that right now. I did start feeling fucking weird today. I mean, obviously, I'm still going, but, like, did start feeling weird today. Maybe that, I'll just go good. and get everybody sick. That's, uh-huh. good. that's good, Sean. You know why that's good? Because I'd rather you feel weird tonight on Tuesday as we record this than on Saturday when we're hanging out uh, at the Bridgestone Arena downtown Nashville. Sounds good to me. You know what else sounds good? How about uh, Bobby Whitaker? I mean, oh my God. You know, because look, you know, we're not going to sit here and talk about how we predicted that he'd knock out Jacare, because we did. But you know what really impressed me more? Because everyone's all surprised that he knocked him out. I'm not surprised about that. What I'm surprised about is one doesn't simply escape a Jacare back take. So... That, you know, Jacare tries to take him down, and obviously Whitaker's scrambling ability was on full display. And then Jacare gets him up against the fence. He goes for an inside trip. He takes down Robert Whitaker. And the way Whitaker scrambles up is he has to give up his back to scramble back to his feet, right? And, you know, automatically you're going to be like, well, if there's one guy you're not going to give up your back against, it's Jacare Souza, right? And he was like, fuck it, I'm going to give up my back so I can stand up. He gives up his back. Jacare Souza puts in one hook, and as you saw, I mean, the posture of Whitaker, his defense, he was very aware. He shook off Jacare right then and there, man. I was jumping up and down. Like, my friends were like, the hell is wrong with you? But, uh, you know, I was like, all right, now we methodically destroy him. Like, I was so pumped when he shucked Jacare Yeah, it was sort of the deflating moment for Jacare, you could tell. You know what I mean? So now, damn, I got to track this guy down and walk through whatever he's throwing at me. And uh, Whitaker's feet were looking good. You know what I mean? Like, kept distance, wasn't there. Pretty good, man. Pretty good. And one thing real quick, like, this might be, you know, perhaps um, uh, it's a little too soon, but I I don't think so. As far as, like, this title scene goes, GSP, Bisbing, Rockhold, Weidman, UL, Kelvin, Jacare, Whitaker, like these guys, I think that only one of the guys at the top has annihilated another guy at the top. Weidman did get knocked out, but but he lost two rounds before that happened. I don't put that performance on par with this performance. So if you're going to ask, who should be up next, it should be Whitaker. You know what I mean? Like, he's hot right now. He just looked good. Let's go. If we're going to do an interim, let's let's do him versus UL. Let's, yeah. let's get it going. Okay? Because if you're going to sit around and, and make them fight each other, all you're doing is killing off these guys. Why don't you let a guy get the belt, and then we can be excited about the people that he fights for the belt instead of that being a rematch or that, you know what I'm saying? Like, just... No Musashi versus Whitaker. We want them both there. Just go, give somebody the belt, and, and start round-robbing these guys in here and, and getting them some fights and defend this fucking belt. I mean, but Whitaker's ready now. 
Yoel Romero versus Robert Whitaker for the UFC interim middleweight title. That sounds like a gift to me. That sounds like the best interim title fight of all time. Now, I know some people are going to be like, come on, man, no interim titles. Yeah, I agree, but look, there's not even a date set for Bisbing versus GSP. What, are we going to keep Yoel Romero and Robert Whitaker on the sidelines? I don't think so. Let them fight for that interim title. Let's see who the best is because, look, I know Bisbing's got the title, and I'm not one of these people that discredits him like everyone else because, you know, he is the champ. He knocked out Luke Rockhold in the first round. I mean, what, what other proof do I need? He took the belt from the champ how you're supposed to. It's not like he won a controversial decision. So Bisbing really is the champ, and these are the fights the UFC are giving him. I'm not going to sit here and cry at Bisbing because he's taking these fights. Hey, man, if you're offered these million-dollar paydays, you take them. But at the same time, you do have two number one contenders in that division, and I'd like to see them fight, man. Let's see who the best man is. Yeah, let's let's hurry up and go. And Bisping is not young. Uh, GSP obviously not young. And what what is his body like? What is he going to be like in a full camp? Or do we have to wait six months for this fight and then somebody hurts themselves and then we got to tack another three on it? Then we got no. You know what I'm saying? We should have just done an interim now. There can't be anything wrong with Whitaker. Give him a a two month turnaround and let's let's go. What's the problem? Man, how about Lewis Smolka versus Tim Elliott? I mean, that I didn't know it was going to be fight of the night. That was unbelievable. And, you know, you were 100% correct when you said that Tim Elliott would outscramble Lewis Smolka. But I got to tell you what, man, the, the Hawaiian's pretty tough, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, I mean, he was, he was faster every time. And there was plenty of times where Smolka sold out to get something, and he went too far, and, and Tim ended up on top again. It's just, you know, there was that moment where, where Smoker was like, again, you ended up here? And then it just was more and more. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. He didn't stay with his back there. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he kept trying. And, man, how about that boy, uh, Hanato Moicano? You know, for only being 2-0 and in the UFC, for only being 11-0, and not having that much experience, going up there against a guy in Jeremy Stevens who's been in there with Frankie Edgar, who's been in there with Max Holloway. You know what I'm saying? And to go out there, he followed the game plan to beat a guy like Jeremy Stevens to a T, kind of like Volkov did against against Big Country earlier. You know, there's certain game plans you got to employ if you want to beat these uh, big power hitters, and that's exactly what Moicano did. Now, you know, I understand it was a split decision. A lot of people weren't that impressed. But I'll tell you why I was impressed, man. For this kid who, you know, he's not even top 25, and he goes in there and defeats the number five guy on planet Earth. Yes, Jeremy Stevens is ranked number five in the world. That's pretty damn impressive to me, Sean. Yeah, honestly, I mean, you know, I'm sorry it looked terrible and it was boring. Well, both of those things are true, but that's what you got to do when you're that guy and you're fighting Jeremy Stevens. You know what I mean? Like, you can't take him down, and you can't slug it out with him. That leaves you one thing left. He should have been more active, but he did what he needed to do, and he won the fight. And when you look back at it, you know, when you look back at him, it's going to say W. You know what I'm saying? So if he looks good next time out, we won't remember how horrible this W is. It'll just be a plain old W. So uh, he needs to look good next time because that's, you know, a couple times in a row now. being like this. And, he, yeah. and Moicano just got himself in the top 10, most likely. I mean, he beat the number five guy on planet Earth. I would assume, you know, these incompetent ranking makers would put him in there. And, Sean, we got to talk about Rose Namajunas versus Karate Hottie real quick. Because, you know, obviously I was dead wrong on that one. And Rose Namajunas went in there and slaughtered 
the karate hottie. But, you know, some people are saying, oh, you know, these guys overrated uh, the, the mental issues. And it's like, no, no, I didn't overrate any mental issues. You know why? Because there wasn't a single instance in that fight where she had to overcome adversity. She so, was never behind. We'll yeah, never know. What, she, what, yeah. That was the most beautiful front running I've ever seen in my life. She went out there and look, basically, I didn't overrate Rose's mental issues. I overrated Michelle's abilities. Rose was simply the better fighter. That's all there is to it. But now that she has such a dominant performance, hopefully when she goes up against the Joanna versus Jessica winner, I can get a good line on the Joanna versus Jessica winner because I know for a fact, Sean, that uh, as soon as adversity strikes, those old issues we were talking about are going to reappear. Yeah, you know, she's got to get over the bumps before you can dismiss what we were talking about. So let's see a bump. And, and good for her that there was no bumps that time, but, you know, the same questions are, are there. And shout out to Mighty Mouse Johnson. I mean, tied Anderson Silva's title defense record and goes out there against a guy like Wilson Hayes. One does not simply tap out Wilson Hayes. I mean, Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion, you know, he's a black belt, obviously. No one's ever tapped this dude out. And Mighty Mouse did it with an arm bar. So that was amazing. Any, any thoughts on the main event? I mean, that was as dominant as it gets. You know what I mean? Like, you can... I wonder where the tipping point is for DJ because you can't do anything more right than he did. You can't look any more calm. You can't be more of a professional. Like, he's at the peak right now. And it's like, oh, this Wilson Hayes. Yeah, I get it. But Wilson Hayes, A, is no joke. And B, that was all that was left. You know what I mean? Like, who's beating DJ? You got to catch him and knock him out. You know what I mean? I don't, I, I, a really huge, 35er could, could squish him and stay on top, maybe, but I don't know. Five rounds against him, you're in for fucking trouble. Like, it doesn't even matter if you if you win. You're still going to catch an ass whooping. You're going to catch him and knock him out. So, he looked great, but you know, I can't help but to think you know, that, that tipping point has to happen soon. I wouldn't be surprised. This is MMA. No one's invincible. So, I'm with you, man. I'm looking for the spot. As soon as it appears, you know I'm going to take that shot, man. But, Sean, we got to talk about UFC Nashville. You were mentioning an ass-whooping, and uh, I want to talk about an ass-whooping because we got Mike Perry. He's minus 185. The comeback on Jake Ellenberger is plus 160. Sean Carey, what are you thinking, man? Um, I think that I hate Mike Perry. And, and uh, honestly, there's, there's probably reasons to hate him just because you look at him listen to him talk, uh, you know, know a bit of his history. Not that I care if you went to fucking prison, but it's like, don't be like the most stereotypical fucking Florida bro ever. It's, it's, he's awful. Uh, Skill-wise, I don't know, man. Um, that chin still perplexes me a little bit because the shots that I have seen him get, get hurt with that are, are not great. And then we've seen him take some fucking bombs and be okay. So I, I don't even know what to say about his chin. It's not really going to matter whether he's got a shit chin or an okay chin or a good chin. If Ellen Berger cracks you perfect, you're, it doesn't matter. You're still, you know, going to sleep. But, um, you know, he looked lost out there against Juban. And, and it's like if you're not going to brawl with the guy and you make him think that then we see his problems, is that how it's going to be with him going forward? Like, He's not really able to push the issue because he's too confused as to what's going on. Uh, the wrestling still is kind of a question mark. It, it looks serviceable the times that we've seen it, but we haven't really seen it be truly tested. 
and we certainly haven't seen it be offensive yet. So that that's a question mark as well. Uh, what he has going forward here is, you know, speed. Speed, probably not more power, but certainly enough power. Maybe not a great chin, but probably a better chin. Uh, youth, you know what I mean? Like, this seems, I'm staying away from this one, but on paper, this seems pretty easy. Uh, we have no idea what version of Jake that we're going to get. <laughs> there could be the Jake that crushes Matt Brown. That's a guy. We could get old Jake, who actually has a game plan and might wrestle a little bit. We could get Safadine Jake, who's going to stand there and literally do nothing for 15 minutes. Who knows where the fuck he's coming from? I have no, I have, I have nowhere to go in this fight other than obviously on paper the speed and power of Perry gets it done versus Ellenberger's way over the hill chin. But the the commodity the commodity that is Mike Perry, I am not buying it. I'm not buying it. And I would not be surprised if he landed a haymaker on Perry and just got him the fuck out of there. So I, I will stay away, but the pick has to be Perry. Well, it sounds like you're not confident, but you know what, Sean? I am, and I'm taking Mike Perry to absolutely destroy Jake Ellenberg and probably retire him. Look, I don't give a fuck if he's some dumb redneck or whatever, man. I could care less. Like, what he does outside the octagon, yeah, you know, he's not going to be a role model for my kids or anything like that, but as far as making money, I mean, shit, you put someone in there against Jake Ellenberger, and most likely I'm betting on the other guy because Jake Ellenberger, you know, you talk about how Oh, you know, which version is going to show Dude, the same version is always going to show up. I mean, just because he put Matt Brown away in the first round doesn't mean that this is some different guy. Like, you know, because, look, Matt Brown's one of my all-time favorite fighters. I love Matt Brown. But let's be honest here. You know, Matt Brown is, is done, man. You know what I'm saying? Matt Brown's peak was when he fought Robbie Lawler. He's never been the same since then. He had a good fight with Tim Means, but, I mean, look, man... I, you know what I'm saying? Like, hasn't Matt Brown been finished three fights in a row? Like, Matt Brown, I fucking love him. I got I got a signed picture of this guy on my wall, but I'm not going to sit here and act like Matt Brown ain't over the hill. So that win of Jake Ellenberger's doesn't really mean much to me. And what I see... I don't... I don't I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I don't think that win means much. But I think that Jake... The problem going into that fight was that his he lacked any urgency whatsoever and was probably just going to stand there and do nothing. Whether or not that did what it did to, to Matt Brown and, and killed him or just completely missed and then he gassed out and, and just lost after that, just his willingness to do it was, was pretty good. You know what I mean? He did he, – he was tentative versus Massimo after that. You know what I mean? Anyway, sorry, go on. But, I mean, if you really watch the Matt Brown fight and – because I know people only have two memories of that fight in their head. The two memories they have are in the first three seconds, Jake dropped him with an overhand right, and then they skip, you know, the next two minutes, and then they recall that Jake dropped him with a body kick. What they don't recall is what happened between the time of that first overhand right and of that body kick. And what happened between that time, Sean, was that Matt Brown got back up from, you know, the overhand right, and then he starts to establish his, his jab, starts to establish his straight right, and, you know, Jake starts whiffing a bit. Jake starts looking for the door a bit. Jake closes his eyes, and we know that Matt has a historically weak body. Well, Jake closed his eyes, threw a nice body kick, and Matt went down. <laughs> you know, that I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to call it a puncher's chance because it was a kick, but, I mean, come on, man. You know, it's 
people overrate that win so much. And now with a guy like Mike Perry, you know, people like to talk shit because of the guy he is outside the octagon, which to me, yeah, okay, he's a dumb redneck. I, I, I could care less. As far as his skills as an athlete and his abilities, I kind of view this guy... I see him as the white Tyron Woodley. You know what I'm saying, dude? Like, I see a guy that, that's short and stocky with ridiculous power, a crazy chin, and he walks forward and he knocks dudes out. Now, I understand Juban picked him apart for three, but, I mean, what does Juban have to do with Ellenberger? Nothing. Ju Ellenberger's not, you know, a Muay Thai southpaw that's going to, you know, throw some big inside leg kicks and, and, you know, slow parry down like that. Jake Ellenberger's the kind of guy that, you know, he'll swing a couple big bombs, and then he'll do absolutely nothing. Then he'll look for the door if you're not out of there already. And with Perry, I think his power is going to be the difference. I think his youth is going to be the difference. His athleticism, his chin, he wants it more. And even when I saw him face adversity in that Juban fight, and once again, the adversity he faced there were, you know, hard-ass kicks, you know, and not just one kick here and there, kind of like Jake did against Matt, you know, where he closed his eyes, said a prayer, and landed that one nice body shot. It's not going to be like that. Would you ban? You know, he was he was systematically breaking down Perry with the kicks. That's not going to happen in this fight. And, you know, with Jake, you know, like I said, man, he's going to close his eyes and swing some bombs. If they land and he puts Perry away, hey, props, bro. But that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen? Go ahead. Uh, just the one thing, we can't toss out this idea that we used last week of these choices outside of the cage. I I agree. I agree, but but what's he doing outside is, the cage that that's is, so that, bad? Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, we've seen, we have no idea. But when you look at this guy and you know what he's done in the past, I mean, would it be crazy if he got into a fight with his girlfriend two nights for the fight, got no, out, went wasted. It wouldn't be crazy. I wouldn't be surprised. The guy is definitely a bit of a head case, but we're talking about Jake Ellenberger, Sean. And we're talking about a guy that, you know, three years ago I was making, you know, the yes, Jake jokes. You know, everyone already knows the yes, Jake story that's been listening to this podcast forever, so I don't need to go and tell it. Unless you really want me to, Sean. Should I say the yes, Jake story? Uh, if you want, go ahead. I might as well for the new listeners because, you know, we, we did break our record last week and we want to thank every single listener of Half the Battle for checking this out. But look, when Jake was supposed to fight Robbie Lawler, and as you guys know, Jake was, uh, you know, he was training with Coach Edmund, right? And on the countdown, you know, Coach Edmund's holding the pads and, and Jake's, you know, he's doing it wrong. And, and Coach Edmund's like, relax, Jake, you're thinking too much. And then Jake does it right, and Coach Edmonds like, yes, Jake, yes, Jake. So you know, from there on out, man, we call him Yes, Jake, because it's uh, you know, whenever he does something, it's like you want to pat him on the back because he actually did something. You know, like you referred to in that Tarek Safadine fight where he did absolutely nothing. We can't deny the fact that Jake Ellenberger has power, but Mike Perry has just as much power, if not more. Mike Perry has a better chin. Mike Perry's more confident. He's the better athlete, and also. You know, Jake's been looking kind of soft lately. I don't know if these new uh, testing regulations have anything to do with that or if he just simply isn't motivated anymore. But if you compare the guy that fought Mike Pyle and Carlos Condit to the guy that, you know, is getting his toe stuck in the cage against Jorge Masvidal, it's not the same guy at all. And I truly believe, you know, Perry's power, his will to win, his athleticism, his youth, is just going to be way too much for Jake Ellenberger. I think he's going to get him out of there. If he doesn't get him out of there, I think he wins a decision. But look. The guys that Perry's been beating are legit. I mean, look, I know Hyungyu Lim's got cardio issues and this and that, but usually when dudes beat him, you know, Tarek took him all five. Neil had to go through some serious shit to get Hyungyu Lim out of there. 
Fucking Perry took him out like it was no big deal. Then he goes in there with Hot Chocolate, who, I mean, dude, Hot Chocolate had some serious hype. Hot Chocolate knocked out, um, the fuck's the name of that guy? <laughs> he, he had a devastating knockout on the European scene against Wallhead. Yeah, there you go, against Jim Wallhead. And then he goes out there, taps out Nate Coy in the first round, has a war with Dominic Steele, fight of the night. And, uh, man, you could see the look on Hot Chocolate's face whenever he got cracked by Perry. You know, because he, he cracked Perry with some hard shots, but Perry's chin held up. Perry kept walking him down like a zombie. And when Perry cracked Hot Chocolate, I mean, you could see the look in Robert's eyes. He couldn't believe that he was being tagged that hard. So, you know, Jake's going to swing a couple good ones. And when they don't put Perry out, he's going to get discouraged, which he is known for. And whether he takes a knee and quits like he did against Robbie Lawler, whether he gets his toe stuck in the cage like he did against Jorge Masvidal, or whether he legit gets knocked out like he, like he did against Wonderboy Thompson, I think for sure my Perry is going to get this done. So what I did was I did a 2.2 unit parlay with Mike Perry and someone on this next fight coming up, Sean. What is it? Well, we got Stevie Ray, who's minus 215, and he's taking on Joe Lozon, who's plus 175. Sean, I, I have a feeling that we actually agree on this pick. You want to tell us why we're picking uh, Stevie Ray Vaughn? Yeah, I mean, when was that, last year that he fought Patrick? Last year, right? Yeah, late last year. Okay, so I thought that even though Patrick was big, um... His cardio was kind of shitty, and, and skill-wise, I don't, uh, I didn't think that he could hold him for the whole fight. Totally wrong. Held him for the whole fight. Got on top of him, squished him. And Stevie Ray did nothing. Um, that's a problem because here, if Lozon's path to victory is, you know, obviously getting takedowns and staying on top, and and even when Lozon's cardio flies completely out the window and you can tell that he's obviously exhausted, he kind of just does what he was doing when he wasn't exhausted. He does it way slower and sloppier, but he's just still doing it. Like, the time between the takedowns doesn't even get much longer. He just, he just like, zombie, like, plods at you. Uh, his hands are not terrible. He obviously carries some power. His hands are not in the same league as Stevie Ray. And you can say that Stevie, you know, what do we really know well, you know, we haven't seen a pocket box with somebody who, who we know is a proven commodity boxing-wise, but he throws straight punches. His feet are underneath him. He's not stepping one foot in front of the other. He, he usually comes in and, and leaves at an angle. Um, just the punches themselves are correct as far as, you know, like the combinations are not like he doesn't start with lead uppercuts and crazy shit that MMA guys do. Uh, his boxing is, is stable and good. And he seems to carry some power and carry some speed. Uh, Lozon obviously tilting over the cliff. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, at the end of an action movie where the, the exact middle of the truck is on the cliff and it's like, Oh, it's going to fall. No, oh, come back. And the guy in the, in the truck is like, crawling to the front and crawling to the back to save it. That's what's going on with Lozon right now. And he's crawled to the front and saved it a couple of times. Uh, some young stud is, is going to exchange with him and, and just be so much faster and, 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 and hit harder and get to that questionable chin. And I think this is the guy. Uh, I don't think the idea of Lozon getting on him and staying on him is crazy. Though. 
we just saw it's a huge hole in CD Ray's game. You got to probably think that he went and worked on that. Yeah. So, you know, he's getting Lowe's on at the exact right time. He's, he's got a good chance here for redemption. Uh, I like Stevie Ray. I've got him in a parlay with somebody else later in the card as well. I think I got him at minus 120 or something ridiculous. Um, I can't pass on that. I got Stevie Ray as well, and I got him in that parlay with Mike Perry. You know, I hear people talking about how, oh, Lozon's the more experienced guy. It's like, do you realize that this is Stevie Ray's 27th pro fight? You know what I mean? Like, this guy, he's been the five-round distance before in the regional scene, and now, obviously, he's 4-1 and one in the UFC. The guy, is he's experienced enough for me. And also, with Joe Lozon, I mean, you know, look, as a fan, how do you not love Joe Lozon? He's so fun to watch, right? But... I mean, there's a reason that he's he's a 500 fighter. You know, we talked about this with Jeremy Stevens last week. Like, yeah, these guys are exciting, but you look to fade them because they lose a lot. And Lozon's going to take an L here. And basically, you know, what I love about Lozon is, you know, he charges forward with those big punches. And actually, they're nice and straight, too, Sean. I'm kind of like, you know, he does have a little bit underrated boxing offensively. But defensively, man, I mean, the way he shells up, and I don't like how he reacts to getting a hit. You know, it's not one of those things where, like, he'll go out cold from one shot. It's more of he'll be on ice skates, you know, if he gets rocked one time and he starts shelling up. Like, you remember that fight against Ally Akinta? Like, it, it was kind of hard to watch because the guy is almost too tough for his own good. And with yeah. with a guy like uh, Stevie Ray, obviously he's a southpaw. And like you said, he's got his feet under him. But I want to kind of accentuate that because that's a big part of what's going to win him this fight is the fact that, look, he, he isn't about to go out there, you know, like Jamie Varner, stand in the pocket with Joe Lozon. Let's see who goes down first. This is going to be a smart performance by Stevie Ray. You know, he's going to pop his jab. He's going to circle, circle, throw that body kick. Because he is a southpaw, that left body kick will go straight to the liver of Joe Lozon. Expect that to be a big weapon in this fight. I believe he's going to be a lot faster than Joe Lozon. Obviously, we all know. I mean, if you've been watching Joe Lozon for years, you know that what's historically been the biggest issue for Joe Lozon, Sean? I bet you can tell me right away. It's his speed. It's his defense. Well, you, you can say that, but what I'm referring to is his gas tank. I mean, anyone that's been watching Joe Lozon for years knows that, you know, first round, you, you fucking look out. But second round, he'll be gassed, no big deal. And don't even, don't even, don't even ask me how he won that Marcin Held fight, because I, I got. That's the thing, though. His gas tank, you're right. It is shitty, but it's big. It's not as big as a problem as it should be for being a shitty gas tank, because he puts this fucking pace on you. And by the time his drop, his gas tank drops off, his opponent's is not great either. You know what I'm saying? If if they've really been scrapping and engaging at Lozon's pace, when both guys slow down, it's still Lozon with that pace. You know what I mean? Like, he's still, he's still usually outpacing the guy at that point when the other guy gets tired. There's definitely been times where you see him slow down and the other guy has to slow down, and then it becomes how obvious that how tired this fucker is. But if you get tired too, you know what I'm saying? If this is ugly... How does Stevie Ray look by the time that Lozon's dead? That's the question. So, I mean, you know, with Lozon, he's so tough that even when he's gassed, he still walks forward and takes those shots. I mean, he, he becomes a punching bag. He becomes like the walking mummy. Like, I get that. But if you go back and you watch a fight between Michael Johnson and Joe Lozon, 
you know, I mean, that was like a fucking 30-25, right? It was an absolute massacre. And, you know, why, why didn't Joe Lozon get knocked out? Well, he is, you know, sometimes it comes down to your toughness, man. Because with some guys, you know, obviously chin's a big factor. But with some guys, when they get hit, they kind of make a mental decision to, you know, to not want to be in the fight anymore. Whereas Joe Lozon will never make that decision. He'll always try to come forward. And he becomes a punching bag at that point. So... If the Michael Johnson fight was like a 30-25 and, you know, Michael's a fast southpaw, I'd say Stevie's not as fast as Michael, but he can still use the same game plan to win this fight. So so that fight was a 30-25, right? So how about this one being a 30-27, which, you know, slightly closer. We're not going to – we don't have the speed Michael Johnson has. You know, we might not drop him all over the place, but we can still certainly outpoint him for the duration of three rounds. And another thing, obviously, you know, if Lozon takes our back, if Lozon mounts us – we, we got to be careful because the dude does have some good jujitsu. He is dangerous on the ground. But if you want to talk about that Patrick fight, I make an exception for that fight. And the reason why is because Patrick's just a fucking big-ass, strong freak athlete, man. <laughs> he just grown man Stevie Ray. But also, there was, a point, there was a part in that fight that I liked. And it was at the very beginning when Patrick tried to take down Stevie Ray. And Stevie automatically reversed it and got into full mount. I don't know if you recall that moment, right? That was like his one yeah. that was like his one moment of success. So that to me showed me like, hey man, he's got the technique, but eventually he succumbed to just the athleticism, the strength and the power of Alan Patrick. Joe Lozon's not known for his strength or his power or any of that. He's known for his toughness and his jujitsu. And you know, the saying goes, tough gets knocked out. I'm not convinced he's gonna get knocked out here. I just think he's gonna get picked apart for three straight rounds. I think Stevie's gonna run around the ring, pot shot him body kick now whether the audience booing or not i could care less but i think uh stevie ray is going to pick up a 30 27 so for that reason sean i put 2.2 units on a parlay with stevie ray and mike perry and, and the theme is pretty constant not just in this parlay but throughout the entire card that um taking you know the young up-and-comer over the you know the over the hill the fading veterans and sometimes the fading veterans come through sometimes they shine with their experience but with a guy like stevie ray you know, like I mentioned earlier, this is his tw- this is his 27th pro fight, man. This isn't some dude that needs seasoning or this or that. He's ready to make his run right now. So I think he's going to go out there and defeat Joe Lozon, Sean. I, I agree with you. Um, but if this gets ugly, we're in trouble. I mean, there's a reason I didn't max bet it. 2.2 units, not a big deal. Look. You know, because I, I saw someone tweeting the other day, oh, I lost five units tonight. I need to reevaluate my life and stay off Twitter for a week. Like, you'll never see me say anything like that because I don't risk enough to where, like, I'm in deep shit if I lose. Like, if I take an L, like, okay, cool. Yeah, big deal. I know I'm going to get it back. Like, I, I, it's just not a big fucking deal to me. Now, if I were putting, you know, 11 units on this parlay like some of these frauds that claim they put 11 units on multiple bets okay that then i have reasons to be worried but for 2.2 units this is just one bet in a long-term game that you know i'm winning at sean i don't think it's that big of a deal and i think stevie is going to come through for us so i'm excited and sean we got john dodson he's minus 410 and the comeback on eddie wyland is plus 330 now Last time I faded Eddie Wineland, Sean, was actually my biggest underdog hit that I've ever cashed in my entire life. That Johnny Eduardo plus 850. But man, similar to that fight, you know, I see John Dodson exploiting the same holes 
that Eduardo exploited. And I'll explain what I mean. Now, I know Dodson's a minus 410 favorite. So, you know, obviously I'm not going to bet something that price. But the reason that I bet Eduardo is because, look, Eddie Wineland fights with his hands down and his chin up straight in the air. Now, he's got a lot of power. He can catch guys when they're coming in. And, and obviously, you know, his takedown defense is on point. But when you talk about a guy like John Dodson who – you know, if you listen to the show, you know I'm not a fan of his, but who cares if I'm a fan or not? I mean, I I got no uh, issue describing his style. Dude is fast as hell. He can close the gap like it's no one's business, and he can knock dudes out. Now, okay, real quick, someone's going to be like, why don't you like John Dodson? Yeah, I, I don't really like, you know, grown men that wear pajamas in public, Sean, but yeah, it's a different story. But uh, in this fight, man, I feel like, Wineland's going to have his hands down, his chin up like he always does. And, you know, Dodson, sometimes he doesn't pull the trigger. But in this fight, I think he will because he's going to close that gap. And I think he's going to blitz Eddie Wineland and uh, potentially get him out of there. Now, what do I want to happen? Man, it would make me so happy if when John closed that distance that Eddie caught him with a straight and put him down. I mean, that would be that would be incredible. But, you know, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I think, uh, I think Dodson's got that this one as the line indicates. Um, I have two bets on this on this card that I, I like a lot. I'm using both of the guys twice, which is you, you know pretty rare. Uh, Dotson is one of those. Um, you know, usually my breakdowns are not about the technical things, but in this breakdown in particular, when you go back and watch tape, the the thing that I see the most happening in this fight is that Dodson will punch last. That's what it seems like. That's what it. He will throw something hard, and it, and it, I mean to open, you know, to like uh, to open an exchange. It is a jumping in straight that's that's hard that's meant to hurt you. But a lot of times that's just to bait the counter because what he really wants is to counter off the counter, and he goes last in a lot of his uh, his exchanges, and a lot of times he's the one landing last too. Um, in the Lineker fight, a guy who you probably don't want to wait around with to go last. He he would go last and escape, but he usually went last there. So it's like, you know, go and swing, 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 swing. But the last guy to swing is usually Dodson. The big problem for Wineland is, A, he waits for a receipt after he lands something. If you know his head doesn't fucking move, and you know he's got that big-ass giraffe neck with his big old balloon head floating around on top of it, We've seen him get destroyed because of that exact problem. So if he comes into this and Dodson doesn't get him with that explosive first shot and he tries to counter, he can guarantee that Dodson will go last. And what will he be doing when Dodson goes last? Just standing there. You can close your eyes and know where his head is. So, you know, going into that signs fight, you think that Wineland is a broken guy. And, you know, you go into your hometown and fight somebody, you know, got into the sport late, maybe on their last leg as well. That doesn't erase that idea for me. Um, that doesn't fix anything. He, he, okay, I get it. He won that one. But that doesn't mean he's not that guy that I thought he was before that fight. We're, we'll have to see him against somebody who can crack him. Uh, now he's got a guy in front of him who can fucking crack him. And Wyland can hit too, but can he hit harder than Lineker? Because Lineker landed some shells on him. So I think the Dodson's going to be fine. I think, actually, the first extended exchange that they have, maybe two or three punches on both sides uh, for both guys, 
Dodson-Land's last and, and knocks him cold, and that'll be it. That'll be gloves in the middle of the ring, retirement for Eddie Wineland, and, and it's honestly about time. Uh, hey, Dodson, Sean, fast. I, I got a yeah. question for you, bro. So the yeah. other the other day you asked a trivia question on Twitter. You said, <laughs> who was the first guy to leave his gloves in the center of the octagon? You said, don't look it up. So I'm not going to look it up. Who was it, Sean? I don't know. I didn't look it up either. This fucking guy. I, decided, <laughs> I, 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 I then decided to never look it up. I'm like, I'll never know. That's new, right? In the internet age, you're like, I can find out right now. I am choosing not to find out. So go ahead and tell me if you want, but I'm not looking it up. So there. I was gonna, I was gonna joke around and say Mark Munoz, but you know, it's probably like Hoyce or Randy or you know. No, no, I don't think it's old. That was around my guess too. It wasn't Mark Munoz, but it was that era. It's not. I don't feel like that's the old thing. I feel like that's like mm, three, four years. Somebody will find out now and and look it up and tell us. So we'll find out. But. Hey, first first person to tell us who was the original UFC fighter to leave their gloves in the center of the octagon gets a shout out on half the battle. No one gets shout outs on half the battle for some reason, and it's not it's nothing personal. It's because we're so you know so engrossed by the well, fights that we forget, uh, right? <laughs> That's why. Yeah, and then if you if you guess it right and tell me, and you go to Nashville, I'll kiss you on the neck. That's an extra bonus. And I'll buy you a beer for your uh, for your sorrows. Now, Sean, we gotta talk about a guy that's from Tennessee, a guy that I've seen fight live like three times, and he's zero and three. So, actually, he's zero and two because I saw him lose to, to Glover, and I saw him lose to Johnny Bones Jones. So maybe, maybe third time's the charm, Sean. Maybe he's finally gonna get back on track because we got OSP. He's minus one eighty five in the comeback on Marcos Rogerio Pezao de Lima is plus 160. Now, I understand why the line is a little closer, you know. You can make the argument that OSB is falling off the cliff a little bit, but, you know, here, here's the thing with this matchup, Sean. Firstly, is that guy Volkan Ozdemir that just beat OSP? I mean, is he legit a jobber that beat OSP, or is he actually pretty good and we just don't know about him? Uh, I thought he looked like shit. I thought he looked, you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe if he had some cardio... But and that was the debut, so who knows what it's really like. But but man, he he, he had some volume. Like he was throwing a bunch of head kicks at OSP, and he was he went there from the start to try to to try to win the fight. And I was impressed by that. Now the difference between a guy like Ozdemir and a guy like Marcos Rogerio de Lima is that Marcos Rogerio, you know, he's not going to systematically pick you apart. He's not going to break you down round by round. He's one of these guys that, to use a, a Sean Carey term, he sells out. And basically, he either finishes you in the first round or he quits in the first round. And that's usually how it goes in a Dilema fight. I mean, you recall his fight with Clint Hester. In that fight, he was able to drop him and tap him out. But then you recall his fight with Antigulov. And, you know, he goes for a guillotine. It doesn't work. And, you know, then, then he, he lets you tap him out. And you recall the fight with Krilov tapping out to shit that's not even locked in. But then you watch his fight against... Uh, against Jeremy Kimball, and, you know, I know on paper it's, oh, he knocked him out in the first round, but if you actually watch that fight, so Jeremy Kimball throws a big overhand right, he falls over, <laughs> and then DeLima hits him once or twice while the guy's on the ground and wins the fight. Hey, take a win by any means necessary, right? But, I mean, it's not, you just don't sit here and tell me, like, oh, DeLima's so, he's so improved, you know, he's, he learned from his mistake. No, 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 he didn't. He's the same guy he's always been. So, 
I think this is a fight where OSB can get back on track. Look, I know he went in there with John Jones. That was his Super Bowl. He went the distance, which is like, you know, to him it was like an accomplishment, whereas to other fighters they're like, man, I fucking lost. I'm pissed. OSP was just happy to, to have gone the distance. And then the next fight with Jimmy, I mean, we, we saw what happened. You know, you can get your life changed by Jimmy. We know that. And the next fight by Ozdemir, split decision. Man, you know, are you falling off the cliff or is this guy simply better? This is the fight that's going to let us know if OSP fell off the cliff or not. Because if Marcos Rogerio Pezao de Lima goes out there and stops OSP in the first round, you can officially close the book on OSP. But I think that this is one of those fights where OSP can do his... You know, ugly, unorthodox, funky stuff that he brings to the table. You know, he can throw a big body kick, maybe break the ribs of Delima. You know what I'm saying? Maybe get some funky, you know, submission on the ground that's not even locked in and get him to tap out. I just think that when you weather Delima's storm, the first two-minute storm, it, the fight's yours. And, you know, one thing I've never questioned about OSP is his toughness. I've questioned his technique. I've questioned his cardio. But I've never questioned his toughness. I know the guy's got heart, so... I know he's got a lot more heart than DeLima, I'll tell you that right now. So as long as he doesn't get stopped in the first two minutes, I think this is his fight, man. So I'm going to go with uh, OSP to finish uh, DeLima. Now, real quick, Sean, do you know how the origin of this is his fight to lose, you know, that saying, how that got started? Because I almost said it there. I almost said this is OSP's fight to lose, but I don't really understand why people say that. Why can't I say this is his fight to win? I don't know. Where's it come from, you know? No, I thought maybe the veteran <laughs> Sean Carey knew. Uh -oh. No, I've just always heard that. I think that's way before me, too. We need somebody to look that one up, too. Hey, first person to tell me that gets a half the battle prize pack. Because, Sean, I mean, like, why, why say... It's on the neck. Why, why say this is his fight to lose if, like, I think it's his fight to win? I, I... Because he's got to fuck it up. Like, the guy can't beat him. He's got to lose. You know what I mean? Uh, okay, that makes sense. Which is kind of true. So, so yeah, like, Case it, was it, DJ's fight to lose? Like... Say again? So, Hayes was DJ's fight to lose? Yeah. DJ would have had to fuck up in order to lose that fight. Which okay. is even more obvious, you know, in the, in the rear view. But, you know, this fight is like the easiest fight in the world to break down. You can watch, you know, three fights ever in your life and understand what's happening here. Like, the entire spectrum of things that you can do as an MMA fighter you know, Delima has, like, a sliver of that spectrum. He can't out-tough you. He can't out-kick you. He can't out-grind you. He's not a submission wizard. He's not this. He's not that. He can do this tiny thing, and he can, he can hit you with a hook and knock you out. And that's really, like, it. You know what I mean? Like, you can, you can widen it a little bit and say he can hit you with a huge power strike and, and do something to you or, or nail you with that and then sub you, uh, although that's still, you know, due to the first part. Um, and that's not going to get you many wins. But the problem is, for OSP, especially recently, of course, that tiny sliver is more than enough to beat OSP. You know what I mean? Like, both these guys are absolutely prone to coming apart at the seams for numerous reasons. Cardio is terrible. And where Delima quits, OSP does not quit, but he just makes the worst fucking decisions. That you're just like, what? Like, you could have maybe limp legged out of that, but instead you, like, fall with a Kimura that's, like, half, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like, all that is, is, is because of being tired. You know what I mean? Like, 
it's like him being tired overrules his his choices, like the mechanism that makes him go, I should do this. And he's like, this would be easier, and I would get a little nap, so I'll do this instead. And he does that all the, all the fucking time. Uh, you know, Delima, on the other hand, he's like, oh, my tiny sliver did not, you know, kill the guy. I haven't, you know, that's all I had. So let me just, hopefully it's a body shot or a sub or something where I don't have to get my face rocked. But the next one of those that happens, I'm out of here. And, and that's what he does often. So um, it's tough to call because I assume that OSP either nullifies or survives Delima's opening shit. And after that, I assume that Delima comes apart and it happens quick enough for OSP to not come apart by himself. That's how I see this fight. And at that number, OSP is not bad. But after what just happened to OSP and after, you know, in this particular matchup where it only takes one, uh, I will run for the hills on this one. Uh, The pick is OSP, but money-wise, no way. The co-main event of the evening... We got Ally Kinta. He's minus 420, and the comeback on Diego. Is it, what's his new nickname? Is it, uh, is it Lionheart now? Or is, I mean, the dude, it's not the nightmare. It's not the dream. I believe it's Lionheart. But, anyways. Fucking guy is nuts. Yeah, really. <laughs> so, Diego Sanchez yeah. is plus 335. Now, okay, so, so here's the thing. If this is, if I'm guaranteed the Ally Kinta. Of a few years ago, you know, the guy that made Joe Lozon go on ice skates, the guy that knocked out Ross Pearson, the guy that somehow, don't ask me how, but somehow won a split decision against Jorge Masvidal. If I get anything remote, remotely close to that guy, I think that, you know, it could be an easy contest. But when you take a two and a half year off layoff, excuse me, when you take a two and a half year layoff, you quit the sport. He did quit the sport. You guys remember, he retired. You know, you become a free uh, real estate agent, and you know you're talking about how much you hate the UFC. Like you signed the contract, bro, and now all of a sudden it's not good enough. Like maybe, maybe you shouldn't have signed the contract if you didn't want that. Like at least fulfill your contract, Sean. At least do what you said you were gonna do. You know what I mean, man? And this guy, you know, he signs on the dotted line. Now he's crying about his pay. At least he's coming back because the kid's a talent, you know. I like the fact that he throws straight punches down the middle. I like the fact that he mixes in his leg kicks. On the ground, he's not half bad either. You know, he's going for heel hooks out of nowhere. The thing, the biggest issue with uh, Ally Akinta is that he's a bit of a meathead. And uh, when, when you've seen this guy lose fights, he'll randomly give up his neck out of nowhere and get choked out. And he's tough. He won't tap. He'll go straight to sleep. But this isn't a one-time thing. You know, it didn't just happen against Michael Chiesa. It didn't just happen against Mitch Clark. Dude, this shit happened, like, on the regional scene against jobbers, too, man. You know what I'm saying, man? Didn't, like, fucking Pat Oddenwood tap him out, too, man? You know what I'm saying? So, if Diego Sanchez, you know, if Diego takes that ass-whooping up front and then somehow takes the back of Ali Kinta, kind of like he took the back of Gil Melendez, chances are he can choke out Ali Kinta. And Ali Kinta is going to be coming in there with that rust, and he doesn't really want to be there. But at the same time, Ali Kinta is a lot more skilled than Diego Sanchez. He's a lot younger. He's fresher. Normally, when the guy's younger and fresher, I'm going to be like, yeah, so he wants it more. But I'm not convinced he wants it more because he quit the fucking sport. You know what I'm saying? Like, to him, you know, selling real estate and, you know, talking shit about the contract that he signed was more important than getting to fight at Madison Square Garden in his home, home state. So I really don't know where this dude's head's at. But I do know if he shows up, 
like he did in his last few fights two and a half years ago, he beats Diego Sanchez, but we got zero guarantee of what version of him is going to show up. And with Diego Sanchez, you know I love experts at winning the close decision. I don't even think Diego's an expert at winning the close decision. I just think that he's, you know, coincidentally won a couple close decisions that he should have lost, like the Pearson fight, like the Martin Campman fight. And the reason why he wins those fights is because, you know, he obviously takes a lot of damage, but he stays in your face. He throws a lot of punches at the air. And I guess, I mean, you remember the Leonard Garcia effect. You know, a lot of these judges, they they value that volume, even if it's not effective, even if it's not landing, man. So you always got to be wary when you bet against Diego Sanchez because the dude absolutely has the capability of winning the controversial split decision. And you know I love my controversial splits, but I don't trust either guy in this spot. I think Al's probably going to win, but I don't fault anyone for taking the shot on Diego Sanchez here, man. And if you're doing that, I hope you cash, my friend. Uh, I've got one unit on Diego at plus 320. Uh, here's why. Like, Ally Quinta, uh, when he was at the height of his game, um, whatever that was, I didn't think he was that great anyway. You know what I'm saying? He's obviously prone to brain farts. Uh, he seems to carry some power. Um, his punches seem good. His wrestling is, you know, at least capable of keeping him uh, on his feet, where his, you know, where his best assets are. But, you know, it's just dumb, dumb things. That Mitch Clark was not like a, ah, you got me. It was like, here's a chance to get me. Here's a chance to get me. Here's a chance to get me. Okay, now you got me. Uh, dumb move. You know what I mean? Like, lots of dumb things. And like you said, like meat, meat heavy things. Um, Secondly, there's not really any interview of any UFC fighter. Uh, you know, Rampage maybe he doesn't count as UFC fighter. That that nobody's as dejected as Ally Aquina is. He seems to really not be into it. He seems to really not like the UFC. He really seems to to want to be out of it. You know what I mean? So you know maybe he'll get out of it after this one. Uh, it might be a good idea because he's, he's certainly not into it. That's a huge break. What do you think about your career if you're this guy who's building momentum and people are talking about you and then nothing? And you know what I mean? Like, that's a long sit on the shelf right there. A long sit on the shelf. And I know you're injured and I know you're trying to come back, but you can tell how frustrated he is when he's like, yeah, I'm not coming out to the New York one. I'll be sitting on my couch watching it. I need more money. I might as well just do this. Remember the story that he told about going to the beach and they were mad at him and he's like, I don't need a boss. I don't need people telling me what to do. And okay, dude, you know what I mean? Then work for yourself as a real estate agent. Then Maybe try that. And you know, the, the layoff versus fire thing is absolutely something that I stick to. I, in this case, it's not really like layoff versus fire because it's not like Iaquin is going to start slow and, and, Diego is, you know, pinpoint accurate in the beginning, but it's it's more of like an attrition type thing. It's more of like a like Iaquina blasts Diego in the face. Diego puts his hands down, waves him forward, and then rushes forward with three or four stupid punches at that point. Can Iaquina keep himself out of that type of fight? Can he not brawl back right there? Um, could he win a brawl and knock Diego out right there? Fuck yeah. But can can a, a guy who's been sitting on the shelf that long be thrown into this kind of fucking bloodbath like a scrap?
scrap right off the bat? Can he keep up with Diego in a scrap like that? Gotta I mean, find out. Diego, yeah, we know Diego can keep up. We know if he can survive that kind of fight, how, how he comes out in the third round. He usually wins them. And even when he doesn't win them, he wins. You know, like, and, and, and what Diego does is, like, we don't need to break down what Diego Sanchez does, but here's what he's definitely going to do. He's definitely going to give us a 100% honest fight where he tries to win with all of his fucking ability. He's never done anything less than that, no matter how bad or how good he's looked. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen him get confused, we've seen him slow down, et cetera, but he is constantly trying to win. I don't think that Iaquina is smart enough to find to fight a disciplined fight. I think he fights Diego's fight, and Diego has been beating people who are better than him his whole career. Uh, this is just another guy who's probably better than him that he's going to beat just because you didn't you didn't have what you needed that that night. You know what I mean? And I don't think Iaquina's got it this time. I don't I don't think he's ready to come off the couch and have this kind of fight. So I like Diego just for one unit. Best of luck, man. I hope you win a controversial split decision. <laughs> well, Sean, the main event of the evening, we got Cub Swanson. He's minus 680. The comeback on Artem Lobov is plus 490. And I see a little red arrow on Artem Lobov. That means some money's been coming in on, uh, on good old Flobov. So... Quite uh, interested to see what people are thinking with this one. I mean, just like we normally do with these mismatches, I kind of like to make a case for the underdog because, you know, it is MMA. Anything can happen. But basically, you know, Cub's better everywhere. He's more athletic. He's more dynamic. He's faster. He's more experienced, uh, more high level, more everything. So for Artem to win this fight, basically Cub has to disregard everything Artem does. He has to go in there with his hands down, and he has to get countered when he overcommits with something. You know, the same way that Artem put away all those jobbers he fought on The Ultimate Fighter, and maybe the same way he won his last two fights, even though we, we both know that's not about to happen to Cub Swanson. So it's all about Cub getting caught here or not. If Cub doesn't get caught, he's going to easily gonna be the one that catches Artem, man. Uh, Cub, you know, he does some real creative shit, you know cartwheel kicks and but obviously his main thing is his punches man i love uh that they come from the hip but they're dynamic they're accurate and they'll follow up with a huge kick and he just loves to fight man he's wild he's he's fun out there he's creative he calls it beautiful destruction so barring something crazy and this is mma crazy things can happen cub's gonna win this fight so I mean, I ain't about to bet a minus 700. I know I know. there's probably one guy out there who's going to put four units on a minus 700. I'm not that guy, so I'm passing. You got anything for this main event? I sure do. I've got Swanson inside the distance. And the reason why I have Swanson inside the distance is because Swanson is an excellent fucking fighter with uh, still quite a bit left in the tank. Um, I don't even want to break this fight down because this is like – this is like a shitty regional guy who should not even be here versus somebody that he's so incredibly out of his depth. I don't like minus 700 on Cub might be pretty valuable, honestly. Like five rounds for Cub Swanson right now. You just, you, you went life or death with a Japanese club fighter 
good job, you know, good job for you. And here's the thing about this fight that's super important for Cub, because you know where Cub wants to go in his career, right? Cub knows he's, he's creeping up on the end. Cub knows he's got a lot left. Cub knows he just had the fucking fight of his life and, and, and looked fucking great and fun and, and the ability to be popular, the ability to sell pay-per-views. What do you think, after Cub dismantles this clown and crushes his face, what do you think the first word out of his mouth will be in the post-fight? Conor McGregor. Yes. Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor. You, Artem Lobov, is, are going to take a proxy beating for Conor McGregor. And it sucks because Conor McGregor is probably about 50 times better than Artem Lobov. And... Cub Swanson is probably 30 times better than Artem Lobov. So now you're going to be like, here, Cub, you want to show up? You want to look good? You want to make a major call-out that's going to get some buzz because you know that fucking dickhead Connor has to respond? Kill this guy. Call out Connor. Tell him what you did to his friend. Main event, five rounds, make it your moment. He will. He will do that. He will stop the shit out of this guy and do it fancy ways, cartwheel kicks, crazy punches, the whole fucking deal. Cub is going to look excellent. He's going to shit all over this dude. Take Cub inside the distance. He's minus 160 last time I checked. Take it. I've got uh, two units on Swanson inside the distance, parlayed with Dodson, and that's plus 121. Sean Carey, we got to talk about these prelims because we got smiling Sam Alvey. He's minus 120. The comeback on Talis latest is plus 100. I am a little bit surprised by this line because I did assume that Talis latest was going to be the favorite, but maybe the odds makers uh, are thinking what I'm thinking. And what I'm thinking here, Sean, is that, I mean, hashtag Jotko changes lives. I think that Musasi and Jotko destroyed Talis latest man I don't think that he'll ever be the same after those ass whoopings I mean his face was like it was like meat hanging from his face you know what I'm saying man like he got destroyed now nah, I know Alvy's not that guy he's not about to you know pop a pop a latest head back with that jab until his eye closes I understand that's not Alvy's game but what Alvy does have going for him is he has 85% takedown defense. The dude's very tough to take down. We know Latus is going to want to get him down. I think he's going to have trouble doing so. So from there, we get into a stand-up fight. Now, you can't rely on Alvy to throw that volume. You know, that's just one of the things you got to understand. But what you can rely on him for is that when he lands that straight left, it's going to change the tide of the fight, man. He's got that kind of fight-changing power, that one-hitter-quitter. Now, with Talis Latus... We know what he wants to do, too. He wants to throw big bombs, get into the clinch, try to drag you down to the mat, and then work from there. Man, how amazing is Christoph Jocko to not just beat Talis Latis, but to out-grapple him? Like, when, when Jocko took down Latis and got on top, I was like, man, this kid's the truth. Yeah, he, he looked good. He definitely, that was a big win, man. Definitely a big win. So now with Alvy, you know, his last two fights, I understand they were kind of ugly, but they were also in the highest possible elevation. I mean, I'm talking... Mexico City and Denver you know what I'm saying Sean so I can kind of give him a pass and he still went all three rounds and one so the dude's got cardio the the issue with Sam Alvey is the lack of output you know what I mean you get frustrated when you bet on this guy you know he's a guy that couldn't cash the under one and a half against Kevin Casey to just to give you an example here but at the same time he can change fights with his power and I mean he's taken out good grapplers before you saw the Eric Spicely fight 
I know Talos is a lot better, but man, Talos is coming off two life changers. That's my thing. I know he beat Chris Camozzi in between there, but you know, big deal. So I, I really I don't think the Musashi fight was a life changer at all. I do. I mean you see him get his eye closed by that jab. What? It was kinda like it was kinda like one well, it was kinda like, you know, preheating the oven and then Christoph Jocko, you know, he, he overcooked him, you know what I'm saying, man? Like he uh Watch the, last, watch the last two minutes of that fight. It's Talos latest coming forward, bombing on Musashi's head. Yeah, I mean when you're when you're losing, you know, 13 minutes of a fight and you have no choice. But you know what, man? Maybe I should just swing some bombs to see if I can, you know, pray to. Ca- it's like Jake Ellenberger in the sense that you know he closed his eyes, he swung a couple big bombs. You know, they didn't they didn't put Musashi away, so he lost the fight. But then against Jocko, man, he. He got destroyed to that next level, man. So both of those ass whoopings, I mean, that's six rounds of getting your ass absolutely destroyed with four-ounce gloves against high-level guys, man. And now with, with Alvi, I understand the lack of output part is a big deal, but the power is serious, man. So Latest gets gets cracked with that straight left. I think that'll change the tide of the fight. Now, I also think he's going to have a hard time taking down Alvi, so it's going to be a stand-up fight. From there, I'm sure, I'm sure Latest can outpoint him because of the low output, but I'm going to go with Alvi here, man. I think the momentum is on his side, even though, you know, I'm not going to bet it for the reasons I mentioned. He's actually about to break a UFC record for taking the most fights in, I believe, a a half a year, I believe in a six-month time span. You know, someone correct me on that one as well. But, yeah, breaking records and uh, cashing checks. So I'll go with Alvi here, not confident at all. You're nuts. This line is so ridiculous. And, And I, look, I understand you, you're a veteran, you go far, you get hit a lot, and then Sam Alvey's a big banger and catches for sure, okay. Uh, none of, neither of those fights that you mentioned are life changers, in my opinion. Uh, he's fine. Uh, he's fine because he came out in between and, and did exactly what he was doing, uh, had to do to somebody and, and did it pretty much perfectly. Um, if anybody is, there's no going down that I see in latest. He looks like basically the same guy. Um, you know, his boxing is, is pretty good. His feet are pretty good. The grappling is really good. Uh, the experience is up there with anybody in the UFC. Uh, Sam Alvey fights chumps and then calls out chumps. Talos latest fights studs. You know what I mean? Like, there's a huge difference here. And, and he might, Sam Alvey might have the power, but he certainly doesn't have the speed. And when it comes down to it, when you're getting your ass whooped in a fight, wing some big bombs. Wing some big bombs. And if they get them, great. If they don't, you tried. Don't do what Sam Alvey does, which is just stand there. Nothing. <laughs> stand there and let, let the clock just tick away, man. Let the clock just tick away. And he does that because he's waiting for this perfect thing. And he, and he gets you there, and he pushes you up against the cage, and one little snippy movement right there, and he picks up his big, stupid, fat feet and resets them and then follows you to a different side of the cage. And he, you can do that to him for a whole round if you want. When he gets set to punch you, you can give him a little jab and a little leg kick, and he'll have to reset and follow you. And, and you string a couple of those together, and that's three minutes. And you just won the round. You just did nothing and won the round. Uh, his takedown defense is a myth. I understand uh, he is tough to take down, especially against the cage. We've also seen him just get his 
spot cleaned as far as getting taken down. Um, we've seen his cardio kind of take a shit occasionally. We've seen it be good, too. But, I mean, what this really comes down to is what is – Sam Ali has a puncher's chance, and he's the favorite against a proven guy, a proven guy with tons of skills, skills everywhere. And you can say, oh, he's going to get caught this time. But, I mean, he didn't get caught. The, you know what I'm saying? Like, Musashi would have caught him. He didn't catch him. He, he's okay still. He's okay still. And, and he can beat guys like Alvi still. We can see the, the limit of who he can and can't beat. But he can beat guys like Alvi still. Because Alvi, while he will put that pressure, he doesn't really do anything with it when he gets there. Um, I like latest big in this, in this fight. I like him pretty easy. I do think he gets takedowns. I do think he crawls all over Alvi. And standing up, uh, he more than holds his own. He throws probably twice as much and, and lumps Alvi up. We, had, we didn't even touch on Alvi's defense, which is basically meh, non-existent. He's okay with getting hit so he can try to hit you back, uh, which is great if the guy wants to stand there and let you hit him back. Here's but, the thing, Sean. So you remember the, you remember that Elias Theodoro fight, which was you know one of the ugliest fights we've ever seen in our lives, and you know the reason that Elias was able to win that fight is because you know he point fought and he ran away. Latus isn't about to run away. Latus is about to get in Alvi's face, so that actually gives Alvi a chance to land his big left. Now, if he doesn't land his big left, obviously he's going to lose the fight. But I'm just saying that chance is going to be there. I, I want. I, I am fine with Latus getting an obvious face. He's going to land and he's going to leave, and 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 Sam will stand there, you know, smiling. That's what he's going to do. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I, hey, don't I talk, love... don't talk too much shit, because Sam wants to meet up with us, bro. That's all right. I'll you, tell him all that. I'll be like, what do you want? You're going to put a little and something in I his drink so Latus wins. I'll just every time he gets really mad, I'll leg kick him and I'll run away, and then two two judges will pop up and give me the fight. No, not likely. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, sorry. Sam seems like a nice guy, even though uh, like uh, those post fight fucking things that he does are are cringy. They like they make me go Ugh, like I can't help it. I, I want to like him, but it, I just don't. Um, the price on Latus is. It doesn't make any sense. I understand why. I understand the path, but it doesn't make any sense. I've got 1.5 units on Ray and Latest. That's plus 230. Um, I've got one unit on Dodson and Latest, and that's plus 144. Well, I wish you the best of luck because, you know, I'm not betting that fight. But, Sean, a fight I am betting is Dustin Ortiz. He's minus 210. The comeback on Brandon Moreno is plus 175. And... You know, I, I thought this Brandon Moreno kid was just some jobber, man. You know, I counted him out against Lewis Smoker. Now, listen to this. Lewis Smoker was minus 500 in that spot. So I was like, well, you know, obviously, you know, you know, I don't play minus 500s. I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these for you minus 500 guys. But anyways, so I was like, well, since he's going to probably finish him in the first round, I'll take the under one and a half at plus money. Now, the under one and a half at plus money cash, but it went the complete opposite way that I thought it was going to go, and that was uh, Brandon Moreno landing the most devastating high elbow guillotine I've ever seen in my life. We talked about it last week. I mean, you know, there's a John Jones high elbow guillotine, you know, against Machida. James Vick landed two high elbow guillotines in the UFC, but then you look at Brandon Moreno's high elbow guillotine, and man, it was such a thing of beauty, the way he adjusted it. There's no getting out of it. I was like, man, that was serious. 
Then you see his next fight against Benoit, and I mean, Benoit is a tough out. I don't care who you are, man. I mean, if you if you lose, excuse me, if you beat Benoit, you're most likely going to a split with him, and that's what happened here. I know Ben 10 got, got him out of there early, but I mean, Benoit's a guy that knocked out Sergio Pettis. Benoit is no slouch at all, and Moreno went out there and beat him by decision, which was a very good experience for such a young kid. Now, I know I used to talk a little bit of shit about Moreno because, you know, he went the distance with the one-legged man and this and that, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, you know, he probably just felt bad for that dude and he didn't finish him because, I mean, like, if he's going in there with high-level guys, why would I use the one-legged man thing against him anymore? I used it against him before he fought high-level guys, but now it's like, you know, I, I understand what he was doing there. He was like 19, taking it easy on this guy. So, you know, it is what it is. But in this spot, man, what I'm thinking is, so obviously, you know, Dustin Ortiz, he's fighting at home, right? In Tennessee, the crowd the crowd's going to be behind him. The judges are going to have his back. So for Moreno to win this fight, he's got to make a statement. And, you know, last time I saw Dustin Ortiz fight in Nashville, he fought Willie Gates, and he absolutely destroyed Willie Gates. I've also seen uh, Dustin Ortiz fight live another time. I saw him fight against John Moraga. He lost a split. I was sitting next to Dustin Ortiz's dad. We were both like, are you serious? Because we both thought he won. But in this spot, man, you know, I was expecting a pick em at, you know, a pick em for the opener, and it was. It was minus 120 apiece. But now I'm looking at minus 210, Dustin Ortiz, and plus 175, Brandon Moreno. Sean, for a fight that I think should be a pick em, I'm, I'm going where the value is, and that's the plus 175 on Brandon Moreno. I'm taking the one-unit shot. Now, we might find out that he's overhyped. Maybe he gets grinded out by Dustin Ortiz. Hey, take the loss like a man. But at this price, I have to find out because not only does Dustin Ortiz lose a lot of fights, he does. I mean, you know, look it up. But Brandon Moreno, I, I think uh, Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard see something with this kid. I think they're matching him up against Ortiz for a reason. They want to test him out. They want to see if he can get past this tough, gritty vet. And I completely acknowledge how tough Dustin Ortiz is. He's good everywhere. He can stand and bang with you. He can take an ass whooping like a man, as you saw in the Joseph Benavides fight. He can grind you out. He can pound you out, as you saw in the Willie Gates fight. But I think this Brandon Moreno kid is one of these new school guys that, you know, kind of like Dustin Ortiz, he started off with a wrestling base. I think Brandon Moreno started off with an MMA base. And I think he's one of these kids that's going to look way better every single time we fight. Because, you know, you, you watch that that Ryan Benoit fight, and he did look a little bit green, but you also saw the potential. So that tells me a couple months you know, later, he's going to look even better and then better and better. So basically, by me taking this one-unit shot at plus 175, I'm assuming or hoping that he's passed the level of Dustin Ortiz. Maybe not on a technical proficiency level, but at least on a find-a-way-to-win level. So you know, I'd, I have no idea how it's going to go down, but I do think that he is strong enough to keep the fight standing. He obviously has heart. You know, when we saw him get tagged against Benoit, it's not like he covered up, took a knee. He didn't pull a Jake Ellenberger. You know, when he got tagged by Benoit, he swung back. That's all I can ask for. You know what I mean? Fight back. Do your best. And uh, plus 175, I'm willing to see if he can fight back and do his best and hopefully pull out a victory here. I know it's Dustin Ortiz in Nashville. That's a tough proposition to bet against, but... You know what? I see some talent in this kid, so let's see what he's all about, man. I'm taking a gamble on him. Yeah. Um, you know, I disagree, but I have no bet, so I'll be rooting for you. I, I feel like there's not a lot to say about this one. It's, it's basically, can Brandon Moreno shock Dustin Ortiz? Dustin Ortiz has proven himself to be unshockable. The guy does not get finished. He's got six losses. They're all decisions. He is 
competent and competitive with anyone. Now he's at home with a humongous experience gap with a guy who's probably small enough for him to grind on. And that's exactly what's going to happen. He will trade with Brandon Moreno. He'll, he'll give as good as he gets, but as soon as they get chest to chest, Brandon Moreno will either drop for something or get taken down or scramble and lose just like anybody who gets beaten by Dustin Ortiz does. And then Dustin Ortiz stays on top, lands ground and pound, wins scrambles to keep him there, and wins with 30-27. Well, I hope you're wrong, my friend. And Sean, I have a feeling feeling we're going to agree on this one, man, because once again, we got Scott Holdsman. He's minus 345. The comeback on Michael McBride is plus 285. Now, similar to the Ortiz fight, Scott Holzman is, you know, he's from Nashville, Tennessee. The whole, you know, you're going to see some people wearing this fucking, like, red jumpsuit, like a Tabasco bottle, and you're going to be like, the fuck's up with these guys? And they're actually Scott Holzman's fans, so don't talk shit about uh, Scott Holzman in front of those people, you know what I mean? Because they call him hot sauce. So last time I, I saw Scott fight in Nashville, you know, he took on Anthony Christodoulou. He was a minus 900. You see, he put him away in the third round, but, man, he had to go through some shit. But I'll tell you what, he's come a long way. You know, for one of these hockey guys that got into MMA, you know, I never have high hopes for them. But, man, Steve Bossy proved me wrong because, look, Steve Bossy overcame the second most devastating knockout in UFC history, and then he went on to win two more fights in the UFC. So Steve Bossy's my hero, Sean. You know what I mean? I got a lot of respect for that for that kind of thing. But uh, Scott Holtzman, you know, man, even though he is kind of stiff on the feet and – you know, the C, you know, he loses decisions to Drew Dober. The ceiling's not very high, but I'll tell you what, man, he has made improvements. And that fight with uh, Josh Emmett, I actually thought he went out there and beat Josh Emmett. You know, he took him down a couple times, rocked him with some hard shots. You know, he's a, he's a tough hockey brawler, man. And Michael McBride is what we like to refer to as a jobber. Someone that's brought in to lose. Someone that's brought in to make me look good. And I think that Michael McBride's being brought in to make Scott Holtzman look good in Nashville. And I think that's exactly what he's going to do. Now... Scott's going to go in there with his stiff, herky-jerky stand-up and uh, probably put away Michael McBride, maybe win a decision. I think McBride's going to be diving on some legs, and I think he's going to get pounded out. So I got the minus 345 favorite here, Sean. I, I totally agree with you, and that number was a little nicer to me. I, I'd definitely be playing with it. Um, you know, this this fight, and there's another fight later that I'm just so not interested in. There's not a lot of potential for either one of these two guys, this is a hometown thing, like you said. That, that's that's what we have going there. And while Scott Holston is not great, he's definitely got more than Michael McBride has. Uh, I think he wins a decision or stops McBride late, but this is most likely going to be a loser. Well, Sean, next up, I know you're excited about this one, man. We got Jessica Penne. She's minus 150, and the comeback on Danielle Taylor is plus 130. Now, you know, normally I'd pass on a fight like this, but I do see an opportunity here because, look, man, Jessica Penne, you know, she t- she got her life changed twice in a row. Now, I know you didn't think that uh, that latest got his life changed by Musasi and Jocko, but maybe you can yeah. you may- I'll agree with you here. Maybe you'll agree with yeah. me that uh, Jessica yeah. Penne got her life changed twice in a row. I-, I know you'll agree with me on that one. So, you know, she takes the ass whooping from Joanna, and, you know, something about that fight really pissed me off, man, and I'll tell you what it was, dude. It's that uh, that fight won fight of the night. <laughs> Like, that's performance of the night, not fight of the night. Like, how do you give Jessica Penne a 50K bonus? Like, look, 
when someone takes an ass whooping and then they come back and drop their opponent or you know they show a lot of heart and they fight really tough then you give a, a fight of the night bonus but when someone's just a punching bag for two and a half rounds like how is that fight of the night i don't know but anyways back to this fight man look so jessica penney a lot of people don't know, but she was actually the Invicta Adam Weight champion. Because I know a lot of people are talking about, oh, she's so much bigger than Danielle Taylor. Look, she's taller than Danielle Taylor, but let's not let's not sit here and act like this is a you know a normal strawweight because this is a former Adam Weight. The only reason she's fighting at strawweight is because that's the only division for her. You know, besides bantamweight, which we know that's not going to happen. So we're dealing with two Adam Weights here. So let's just get the whole oh Penne's a weight class bigger than her talk out the window because that's total bullshit. So, Penne is coming off two life changers. I mean, obviously, we saw what Joanna did to her. Then we saw, I saw in person what Jessica Andrade did to her. And I know someone's going to be like, oh, but that's the champion. And that's the number one contender. You're right. You're 100% correct. But can we both agree that the damage is done? Can we both agree that she had two facial reconstruction surgeries? Like, you know no, what I'm saying? It was not good. You know what yeah. I'm saying, Sean? So, basically, so she had plastic surgery after the Joanna fight. She comes back gets her face destroyed again against Jessica, has another plastic surgery. Now she's coming in here against Danielle, who's obviously a step down. But what Danielle does is, you know, she's very short for the weight class, which means she's hard to take down. And if you don't believe me, look at the stats. She's gotten 100% takedown defense. But anyway, she likes to swing big bombs. And I kind of like the fact that she uses her footwork too, man. She'll run around the ring, and when it's time to blitz, she'll blitz. Now, with Jessica Penne, I know people are talking about how you know, she's going to get the fight to the ground. She's going to use her jab. Like, come on. When does she ever do shit like that? It's been years, man. Like, this is an over-the-hill fighter. And uh, I think this is a perfect spot to take the underdog shot. Now, only a one-unit shot because, you know, there's still a chick fight. There's still Danielle Taylor who we, we, we can agree is a jobber. But Jessica Penne is so far gone that why not take plus 130 to, to bet against her? Because, look, similar to Ronda Rousey and Amanda Nunes, remember how... Ronda got hit one time, and then the fight was over. Like, let's not even worry about the 80 follow-up shots. Just the first shot that Amanda landed. That was the end of the fight. You know what I'm saying, Sean? Yeah, I agree. So here, I don't see why Danielle Taylor can't just wing a big hook, you know, break that <laughs> break that plastically repaired uh, repaired nose, and then make uh, Jessica Penne completely gun-shy. And, you know, let's say that it's a little closer than it needs to be. It's not like Jessica Penne walks people down, establishes that jab. She's a stationary target, and especially after those two beatings, she's going to be even more of a stationary target. Danielle Taylor actually moves her feet. She runs around the ring, and her last two fights, she went in there against strikers, so she had to be a little more strategic about it. Jessica Penne ain't really a striker. She's known more for her grappling, and uh, I think Danielle Taylor is going to actually let her hands go more than she ever has in this spot. And for one unit at plus 130, I will always fade someone coming off two life changers. So, yeah, I'm taking the one unit shot on Danielle Taylor, Sean. Wish me luck. I can't blame I can't blame you, but uh, Jessica Penne comes out on her bike, tries not to get her face rearranged yet one more time, uh, stays at distance, uh, throws weird kicks and stupid jabs and punches that miss repeatedly. Um, the only time that the distance gets closed, is for Penne to put uh, Taylor in the clinch, which she's way better than there. She can land shots in the clinch and start to grind on Taylor a little bit uh, and win a decision that way. Daniel Taylor will follow her around and, and look for the t perfect time to throw this big caveman clunky on the top of the head 
could totally happen. And if one lands clean, that's probably going to do it. You're probably right. But I don't think she does. I don't think she throws enough. I think when she's worried about things like, you know, peeps and jabs and things that you really shouldn't worry about if you're a short inside puncher, uh, but she will. She will worry about those. She'll stay completely inactive and uh, stand outside, have her moments, but basically just lose the fight because she's not pushing the issue. Uh, I like the over 2.5 here, and I've got it in the parlay and something else. Well, what a surprise. He likes the over 2.5 in a strawweight fight. But that said, man, I hope you cash that, and I hope I cash Danielle Taylor as an underdog. And another underdog, we got Joe Proctor. He's currently plus 279, and Brian Barberena is minus 350. Now, Sean, little history. This is the first time in Brian Barberena's UFC run that he opens as the favorite. Interesting, right? So we know he beat Sage Northcutt. He beat Worley Alves. Sean, let me ask you something. What do Sage Northcutt and Worley Alves have in common, you know, aside from being overhyped? The major frontrunners? That, yeah, exactly. They both gas after the first round. They both are first-round fighters, and then they have nothing left. So with a guy like Barbarina, you know, he takes that ass-whooping up front, and then when you have nothing left, okay, cool, I got better cardio, cardio than you. I'm just going to put it on you and win the decision or, you know, choke you out with an arm triangle that's not even locked in, that's on the wrong side, like he did to Sage, right? So in this fight with Proctor, now I completely understand that Proctor is a jobber, but hear me out. Hear, hear my reasoning for taking a one-unit shot on him. This is, this is why I'm going to do it. So... Before I watched the tape, I was like, oh, man, Barbarena's about to whoop his ass. I might have to parlay Barbarena. But then I watched the tape, and I'm like, dude, Proctor's actually live here. And the reason why he's live is because, like I mentioned, the guys that Barbarena beat are guys that fade after round one, front runners. That's not what Joe Proctor is. Not that Joe Proctor's some, you know, knockout artist because he's not. What he is is he's just, you know, your run-of-the-mill fighter, but he can go all three. And that's so important in this spot. And another thing that Joe Proctor has going for him, go back and watch that fight with Magomed Mustafaev. I know the only thing people remember is that he got finished, but what they don't remember is dude was landing some fucking hard and fast kicks against Mustafaev, you know, before he got stopped. And I believe those kicks and also those punches, similar to Joe Lozon, he's got that kind of blitz where, you know, he blitzes you with those straight punches. He's kind of like a, a diet Joe Lozon or, a, you know, a Joe Lozon light, you know, that kind of thing. That's a poor man's Joe Lozon. That's what Proctor is. And uh, I think that he's faster than Barbarena. I think that he can actually pick him apart, as crazy as that sounds. And I don't think he's going to fade, which is what gives Barbarena that chance to come back and win. So... Man, I'm actually going with Joe Proctor here, and I was so surprised that I'm picking him. But once I saw the film, I, I kind of had to because even if you watch that Mustafaev fight, now let's talk about the finish. So Mustafaev hit him with a beautiful liver kick. Do you remember when Mustafaev fought Kevin Lee and he rocked him in the first 10 seconds with that body kick? Like, yeah. I mean, Mustafaev kicks hard as fuck. You're, you're going to go down if you eat a liver kick from him. It is what it is, man. But, uh, you know, Joe Proctor, what he did show, like I said, those hard and fast kicks – that nice blitz with the hands, I think those are weapons that can beat a guy like Brian Barberena because Barberena, he's going to sit back and wait for you to gas out, and Proctor's never going to gas out. So at the most, I see it being a close fight. So plus 265, which is what I took it at. Currently, we're looking at plus 279. For a one-unit shot, I don't see why not to take it unless you think that Proctor's going to fade after round one and Barberena's going to do what Barberena does. But I just... Don't I think Styles make fights and you know Proctor's not a dude that gasses. He's a dude that gets finished by better strikers than him. 
Barbarena's not one of those guys. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's all about the style matchup here, man. That's uh, I'm going with Joe Proctor here. Um, I can't blame you because that number is ridiculous. Like, I didn't bet on Proctor, but I, I can't. I yeah, I can't blame you for taking that one. That's crazy. Um, problem is, I think that Barbarina probably has a pretty good shot at winning this fight here. I think uh, Proctor, you know, not a total gas can, but but we've seen him slow down, and now he's coming off that layoff. Now he's going to be in a tough fight with somebody that he's not going to get rid of who just comes on harder as, as the time progresses. Um, I think that the, the clinch will lead the takedowns and, and do good for Proctor and win him that first round. I think halfway through the second round or the beginning of the second round, that clinch for Proctor turns into elbows to the face, knees to the gut, and then eventually getting turned around so his back is on the cage and then Barbarina can do work. Um, I think he's probably not going to be able to hold Proctor there. I think he'll be fighting off takedowns the whole time. I don't think a lot of this fight happens in open space. Uh, you know, Barbarina is what he is, but he's just going to keep on marching forward and marching forward and marching forward, and, and you can't get rid of him. And his his offense in the clinch is actually pretty pretty damn good. So Proctor better be, I don't even know where he's been, but Proctor better be ready for a tough fight here. And the gas tank is the key to him winning this fight. If he can do his game plan and either stand aside and work a range game or close it off, shut him down and get takedowns, and he can do that for three, he's in good shape. If he can do it in two, he, for two, he's probably in good shape. Um, but if Barbarina gets that upper hand on you and, and starts wearing you down, I mean, you got really nowhere to go. You know what I mean? You've got nowhere to go. So... Uh, I will pick Barbarina here. I took the over, though, and I parlayed it with that last over, the, uh, the Penn and Taylor over. Something else we got to talk about is I honestly don't know what weight class this fight's at because on Wiki it said it was at lightweight, but I've also heard that it's at welterweight. Do you know which weight class it's at, Sean? I, I heard it was at welterweight. Okay, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I knew because, like I said, Wiki says lightweight, man, and I, I thought I was assuming welterweight, so... If it's at lightweight, I mean, Brian Barberena cutting all that weight, man. He's a big dude, so that kind of favors uh, Proctor a little bit. And then Proctor going up to 170, maybe he doesn't have to cut as much. So, I don't know. Uh, someone needs to tell us what weight class it's at. But bottom line, at 265, man, I'm taking that shot because I do think this is a way closer fight than the lines indicate. And I also believe it's a different style matchup than the guys that Brian Barberena's been beating or the guys that Joe Proctor's been losing to. So for that reason, I got to take my chances. Now, Sean, we got the curtain jerker. We got Hector Sandoval. He's minus 125. The comeback on Matt Danger Schnell is plus 105. Now, this is actually going to be a really good fight, man. We're going to get there early. We're going to watch this one because these two are going to throw down. Now, there's certain things I like about both guys. You know, with Matt Schnell, I think that he's a lot faster than Hector Sandoval. I like the way he puts his combinations together. He's a finisher. But, man, he also... He's also gotten finished in three of his last four. I know that's not what it says on his record, but if you really want to do the math, I mean, you know, he got finished in the first round by Rob Font last fight. Then on the Ultimate Fighter, his last one, he got finished in the first round by Tim Elliott. And he has a win by DQ on his record. So, you know, I'm, you know what I mean? He, he got finished there too, Sean. So this guy, Matt Schnell, gets finished a lot, but I see the potential. I see the speed. And I think that his window 
is actually higher than a guy like Hector Sandoval. But I think in this current point in their respective careers, Hector's more experienced. You know, he's performed better, obviously. You know, in his last fight, he went, there, he went in there against an Olympic wrestler. And, you know, when you find an Olympic wrestler, you know, I'm going to avoid uh, tying up with this guy. And it was Hector Sandoval that got the takedowns on the Olympic wrestler. Now, I know the dude's like, what, 3-1 and one or 3-2. and two, So you might not think it's that impressive. But still, when guys beat Freddie Serrano, they usually beat him on the feet. They don't beat him by taking him down. And Hector Sandoval had zero objections to taking the guy down. So I was very impressed with that. It was a very mature performance. So Schnell's the faster guy. Schnell's got more potential. He's more talented. But is he at the level of Hector Sandoval at this current point in time? Because if he's not, he's going to lose uh, in a very experienced and seasoned way, if you know what I mean, Sean. Yeah, I really have no idea who's going to win this fight. I, I'll pick Sandoval kind of uh, more or less because of the reasons that you said. I think when it really comes down to it, just the more consistent fundamental things will be done by Sandoval. But, again, this was, this was the other fight I was talking about earlier where I'm like, oh, I have no interest in this fight. Uh, it, it might be fun, but I think it's probably Sandoval grinding. So, yeah, um, definitely no money involved. I, have no, I, I really have no clue who's going to win this. I don't see much upside on either guy. I see him as kind of, uh, you know, the future journeyman type. There's, there's nothing really going on. It, 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 even the things that they do good, they don't do good enough. Uh, I'll pick We got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So Sean Carey tattoo. The fight to watch for UFC Nashville. What is it, man? Um, fight to watch has to be Cub and, and Loboff. Because, you know, Loboff has a small chance of, uh, you know, catching Cub with something and, and stunning him for a second, which would make this fight really fun. The other outcome is that he does nothing at all besides get styled on the whole time, which is always fun because the, the, the better Cub feels against you, the cooler it gets, the more fun stuff he does to you. Uh, as soon as he thinks he can, uh, you know, land a, a, a one-two cartwheel kick to a flying knee, he, he's going to try it, and that's awesome. So I, don't know, I always look forward to watching Cub fight. Uh, Cub has these modes where he's like, He'll, he'll get rid of all that shit and settle down into this boxing mode where his boxing is actually really good. Like, he'll stop worrying about takedowns and stop worrying about kicking the other guy and just, like, really square up, get close, and box with you in the pocket, which I would love to see him do against Lobos. Uh, all of Lobos' punches are crazy incorrect. Um, you know, there's no way, even this is a one-sided drubbing, as I think it's going to be, there's no way, no way it's going to be a boring one. So as far as fight to watch, it's got to be this one as far as excitement potential. My fight to watch is Mike Perry versus Jake Ellenberger. Look, there's not really many boring Jake Ellenberger or Mike Perry fights. Even when uh, Jake Ellenberger takes a knee and quits, you know, it's still not boring. It's still fun to watch. I mean, I loved watching Robbie Lawler whoop his ass. And on the flip side, he put on a, a very uh, nice effort against Matt Brown. And Mike Perry, I mean... Goes in there, knocks out Hyung Yu Lim, knocks out Danny Hot Chocolate, goes the distance with Alan Juban. This is the time for him to rebound. And uh, no matter what, I think someone's getting knocked out. So, Sean, for that reason, that is your fight to watch. So, Sean Carey Tattoo, who is the fighter to watch for UFC Nashville? Who is the fighter to watch? You go first. I can't think of it. Sean, my fighter to watch is Brandon Moreno. Look, he's coming off two very impressive wins 
in the UFC against some very tough guys. I mean, Louis Smolka, look, Louis Smolka, I understand he's on a three-fight skid, but, I mean, Brandon Moreno is the only guy to finish him. Not only did he finish him, he finished him in the first round with one of the most impressive submissions that I've ever seen. Then he goes the distance with a vet in Benoit in his next fight. Now he's got the chance to fight another vet, a very tough, grizzly grinder in Dustin Ortiz. Not only is he fighting this guy, Dustin Ortiz, he's fighting him in his backyard in Nashville. So for that reason, Sean, Brandon Moreno is your fighter to watch for UFC Nashville. Well, I think the fighter to watch is going to be Cindy Gamblois because, no, nobody <laughs> will watch. Um, I, like, it's a weird pick, but the, the, it's probably got to be Dodson because, honestly, he's probably still capable of fighting in two weight classes. He's probably still capable of beating anyone except for DJ and either of those two weight classes. He has the tools to do whatever he wants to. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he can wrestle you a little bit. He can knock you out with single punches. He can out volume you, although we've seen issues there, but he can, he can do basically anything he wants to anybody. It just depends on any given night and who he's fighting as long as he's not DJ. Um, you know, yeah, when you compare it to the rest of the card, sure, let's see Dotson get a nice one. Well, Sean Carey Tattoo, we did it, man. The next time we speak, we're going to be speaking in person, and uh, we're going to be meeting up and at UFC Nashville. I know, right? And hopefully, for the fans' sake, you know, we come back alive, you know, so we can record another episode. But, man, for everyone tuning in, thank you guys so much. You know, this is... Uh, not the last episode of Half the Battle, but this is the last episode before we really turn shit up because we got a three-week break before UFC 211. And uh, all I got to say is that certain things are about to change and improve on Half the Battle. So we got to thank everybody for supporting us. And make sure you follow Sean Carey at Sean Carey Tattoo. Make sure you follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to Best Fight Picks for the plays. My plays are always free. And they're winning, as you guys know, up 33 units this year. And Sean Carey is also killing it. He's on a, a hot streak. We both have completely different betting styles, but we're both winners. So tail us if you'd like. And Sean, they also got to know that they can subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Make sure you give us that five-star review on Stitcher and iTunes. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. And this podcast is dedicated to the memory of Camp Schweers.